the reason why we chose InfraGuard was the fact that we wanted to have auditability across all of our managed services users. So whenever somebody is doing any kind of a changes in, in any of the instances in customer's environment and something potentially goes wrong, we can go and see who did what. Hi, welcome to the InfraGuard podcast, where we cover topics such as cloud security, server management, compliance, new threats, skill management, and much, much more, as we feature some of the world's leading voices in the world of cloud. Let's get started. Today, I'm talking with Andy Varoma. Andy is the founder of one of Asia's leading cloud-managed services companies, Cloud Comrade, and represents the European Cloud Alliance in the Asia-Pacific, focusing on promoting cloud innovations in the region. In this episode, we talk about modern managed services, things to keep in mind while choosing a managed services partner, how to scale up, changes in the post-pandemic world, and the emerging trends for 2023. Andy carries with him a vast experience of working with Asia's most prominent customers, and hence this conversation is filled with interesting insights. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Andy. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Deepak. Thanks for having me. Perfect. So nice of you to take the time and share your insights. Uh, So, Andy, before we start, a quick overview of your background, your career journey to this point. Yeah, I've been in IT now for about 25, 26 years. I started my career with Capgemini Ernst Young back in Finland a uh, long time ago as an originally as a web programmer and then subsequently as an SAP consultant. And I always wanted to work for SAP and the closest place to work for SAP I found was in Singapore. So I moved to Singapore mm-hmm. about 22 years ago, spent 11 years there doing multiple different jobs and kind of through different coincidences, got into a situation where I was able to join with a couple of my colleagues a startup or build a startup from scratch. Uh, Didn't go that well back at the time. Um, Had to go back to corporate life, but I felt that there was still something I needed to explore in the the, uh, startup space and set up a cloud commerce together with my colleague or Mm ex-colleague Rick uh, about eight and a half years ago, and we are still on that journey. Perfect. So did you always have this entrepreneurship at the back of your mind, right in your corporate career? No, actually not at all. So when I was with Capgemini, we had about 100,000 employees. When I was in SAP, we had about 60,000 employees. And I didn't really understand necessarily what a startup or even an SME was about. So it was kind of like a cold shower, a cold bath when we started the first startup company. Perception what a company is and what it isn't. And... Um, when we then started Cloud Comrade, I think that's when I was much more clear what a startup should be. And I think that's where the entrepreneurial spirit then came about. And I started understanding what it means to build a company. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk more about that stuff, what it means to build a company. But so when you started Cloud Comrade, did you have a very clear, distinct vision? This is who we want to be. One of the things that I had been doing when I was in SAP, I've done a lot of business planning in, in uh, various different mm-hmm. roles. And one thing that was very, very clear that in order to set up a company, I needed to have a plan. So I spent about a year just building a business plan. I started to talking to a lot of different people. Many people advised, Andy, you should not do this. Nobody's going to be using cloud. Cloud is very insecure. Nobody's going to be using cloud for mission-critical applications. Nobody's going to be putting the SAP applications on top of cloud platforms, so on and so forth. But I just felt that the business case uh, somehow was just solid. I had this feeling that 
this will work somehow there were obviously already companies in the united states and elsewhere in the world that had gone to this business model so i felt that this was something that would work in singapore and also in southeast asia and this was 2013-14 around yeah so i started thinking about this in 2012 uh, started really putting the business plan together in 2013 and then we started the company in the middle of 2014 in, in June or July. So we've been around for about eight and a half years now. Perfect. Which which brings us to our to our main topic of modern managed services. So obviously, this has been eight, ten years since you started working in this domain. So what does the modern managed services landscape look like today? So when we set up Cloud Comrade, I think the company was really about two things. It was helping customers to migrate onto a cloud platform. We started uh, as a partner of AWS at the mm. time, uh, subsequently partnered with companies like Google and uh, Microsoft Azure as well, and then providing 24-7 managed services for our customers. It, I think um, some of the things that we put together back then, they're still true um, eight, nine years later, so they haven't changed. So we still have to take care of our customers' infrastructure. We still have to patch systems for our customers. We still have to um, make sure that everything is up and running. We provide the right kind of RTO and RPO. So the fundamentals of managed services have not mm -hmm. changed. However, when we are talking to banks, insurance companies, some um, financial services, startup companies, for instance, we start seeing that there's now a shift in the past three to four years where companies are starting to build their own applications. They built CICD pipelines, they want to have much more rapid response to their customers' needs. And that's also given different types of requirements to managed services providers. So the environments are no longer static, mm -hmm. but because of cloud, they keep changing all the time. And as a managed services provider, we can't have a very static service offering or contractual frameworks with our customers because that's not what our customers no longer require in 2020. They need more flexibility from us and they need more adaptiveness to the customer's environment uh, rather than one-size-fits-all kind of a service from a service provider. So, so there is more customization demand and, and this, is, this is a response to changing dy dynamics of the market or is it, is it more tech-savviness in general which has come up? I think it's been a bit of both. I, I think we, we see that our customers are maturing. Um, back then when we started in 2014, uh, it was still a question cloud and why cloud and what is cloud, I think those questions, we, we rarely see them anymore, maybe in different countries than in Singapore, but but no longer here. Um, our customers are becoming quite sophisticated, they're becoming quite demanding, and the cloud providers have been doing a good job in terms of explaining and articulating that um, our customers don't necessarily just have to focus on their virtual machines and their databases on cloud, but they can start taking advantage of those services that are unique to cloud itself, virtual um, or serverless environments, uh, Kubernetes clusters, um, cloud-native uh, databases and cloud-native security. And I think that's where when customers truly understand the value of those platforms, they start building a completely new type of infrastructure environment where then the main service provider has to be adaptable and, and flexible to provide the services that the customers need. And so you said when you started, you had two distinct facets of this one. One was the cloud migration part. The other was the 24-7 managed services domain. Do these two key pillars still remain the same or now it has moved to something a little bit different segmentation? 
the fundamentals have not changed, um, which is which I'm quite happy about uh, in the sense that we were foresighted enough when we were putting the business mm -hmm. plan that the fundamentals are still there. But the way we deliver services, so let's look at uh, one side of the coin, which is the uh, migration part. So when we are migrating workloads across onto a cloud platform, for many, many years, it, it was a waterfall-based model where you start you know, looking at the customer's on-premise environment, you start looking at to be a landscape and then you help the customers to migrate across and at some point of time you go live and, and you support them. Um, if you are now looking at some cloud native uh, companies out there that might have hundreds or thousands of workloads and they want to be migrating something across from one platform to another and very, very rapidly, you can't use these traditional uh, IT frameworks anymore to do that. You have to be agile, you have to be be able to paralyze uh, work streams and bring in more people, both on the customer side as well as on our side, to make sure that we can compress the timeframes and bring those customers over in a much shorter period of time. Same is also true for my services. So it has fundamentally changed. Customers are no longer wanting to pay for services like patching and recovery and restore. They want to be uh, paying for things like automation, optimization, uh, Cost um, of financial um, optimization, they want to be paying uh, for supporting customers when they are deploying new applications and making sure that they get the best um, out of those platforms and out of the new services that those platform providers are, are, are offering in the market. And, and did somewhere around that 2014 to 2020, you did security start taking a more primary seat above cost efficiency and, and other stuff, or was that a gradual trend? I think security one way or, or another has always been there as a kind of a part of customers' minds. And I think in 2013, 2014, people were saying, well, Andy is cloud secure or cloud is not secure. I think that was very rapidly um, debunked in a way that uh, when the platform providers and also third-party ISVs were providing software, um, very soon, I think cloud became a much more secure environment than customers would ever have in an on-premise environment. However, um, there are many horror stories out there of data breaches and, and, and things that have gone wrong. And many of the times it has been for the fact that customers have not truly understood how, what they have been asking from their providers or what they have been asking from the internal people or the internal people have not necessarily had, had the right kind of the skills to set up those platforms in a way that they have been secure. Right. So so hopefully we get time to touch on a few of these data breaches which, which continue happening and at all the top companies. But something which you mentioned was uh, some sort of not understanding what they're asking from their managed services partners. So which brings us to this point of how should one most efficiently choose a managed services partner? What should be the thought process and the action plan in getting to that point? I think one of the things, uh, having been in Southeast Asia for 22, 23 years, uh, almost every time I go to a customer meeting, the first ever question that you get from the customer is always, how much? And <laughs> that's not necessarily the right question to be asking. Uh, I think the first question should be that, what is the value that your partner or your vendor can bring to the situation. What is it that the company actually requires to achieve? And is the vendor the right vendor to, to bring that to the table? Now, if they are, how are they going to go about it? 
and also the fact that they can provide certain services in today in 2022, are they able to do uh, or or scale up with the customer in 2023, 2024, as the customer's business is changing. We have been serving some of the very small startup companies, for example, in the past, and they have been growing to huge companies over pandemic time. So we need to adapt to their business. We need to change. We have been serving multinational companies who wanted to start very small, but then subsequently they've been pulling us in to do work for them worldwide. And I think one of the criteria there is that a managed service provider in 2023 must be someone who can adapt to the changes both on the uh, cloud, form, cloud platform provider side as well as on the changing requirements that the customer might be having, whether it might be macroeconomical things, whether it might be um, changing business models or whether it might be regulatory policies that they might be facing from central banks or, or other areas. And, and that's where you need to have a managed service provider that can quickly respond to those uh, changing needs. Hmm. Um, so, so there is there is still this part which you mentioned. The first question is how much. So, cost efficiency is one part of it. The second part is adaptability. Uh, what more goes into it before we can fix to a shortlist between a managed service provider, and and also how long of a time horizon view should companies usually take when they set about this this partnership view? Well, okay, so let's start from a cost perspective first. So I think from a cost perspective, um, first and foremost, the modern management service provider, I think, should have most of the backend processes for standard routine operations automated. Mm -hmm. So it shouldn't be very people intensive. Whenever you have people involved, uh, there might be mistakes that occur. There might be things that go wrong. So when things are automated, typically um, uh, there's less errors that will be happening. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I think from a, again, from a cost perspective as well, if let's say Amazon Web Services today is offering a certain set of uh, server types and after reinvent or after some event, they come up with a different generation, I think the managed service provider should be adaptable enough and go back there and say, well, dear customer, whatever you have had there for the past 12 months, now there are new services that you could take um, advantage of and uh, let us come and change you to the next generation of, of virtual machines, for example, to ensure that uh, uh, you, you can have the best possible uh, or price from that uh, CSP. Or if there's new services that are um, not virtual machine based that the CSP is offering, maybe we, we should be able to help those customers to retail their applications or provide them a different type of development roadmap in order for them to take advantage of those services. And then security, I think it's playing um, a role across the board. So we do not have a customer anymore that wasn't concerned about security. So security is something that is um, always at the back of our customer's mind, but it's also on top of my mind whenever we have a new customer coming in. And it doesn't matter what size they are. They might be one of the largest banks or insurance companies that are out there to the smallest startup that is just uh, building up their company. We want to be providing the same kind of services for all of our customers, the same kind of security, and it starts from internal security. Uh, it starts us working with the best-in-class vendors, providing and, and having those internal applications to provide the managed services. But it's also, um, we need to verify and ensure that we have audited our processes. So very early on 
in cloud commerce history, we wanted to be a ISO 2701 uh, certified vendor. Uh, and later we have been getting with Constance with AWS uh, the um, managed services competency to ensure that our processes have been audited by a third party. We were now the first partner in Southeast Asia to gain the uh, MSSP level one competency with AWS. And that was something with, where we wanted to ensure that how people are doing things in a correct way when we take care of our customers' infrastructure. True. And, and something, Andy, which you mentioned was that uh, the managed services partners should be adaptable enough to have a conversation that, look, things are changing, new services, and maybe you should relook it. But therein comes this continuous conversational dialogue between the service provider and the, the uh, customer. I think that is one part which many people miss, that this is still a partnership. Uh, this is supposed to be a partnership where there is a flow of opinions and views. What in your experience has, I mean, in, in a good partnership which you have had, what, was, what were the things which fostered this kind of an open communication? Yeah, I think there's two types of partnerships, or maybe even three types of partnerships. Obviously, there's partnership that we have with the CSPs that is very important for us. So it's uh, across AWS, uh, Google, uh, Microsoft, for instance. But then there's the partnership with the customer. And if you have a customer who treats you as a vendor, well, sure, we do what we as contractors are obliged to do, but that's not really bring the best in the vendor because the vendor probably could bring something to the table to add value to the customer's business. And I think the best relationships that we have had with our customers where the customer is expecting us to have those open conversations and, and also being uh, brutally honest whether we are doing the right things and whether the customer is doing the right things. The customers, the great customers are asking us to challenge their thinking. And if they tell us, well, Andy, your team should be doing it this way or things this way or that way, and they are expecting us to then say, well, dear customer, sure, but this is not the right way of doing things. I think that's something which is highly appreciated. And I think the third type of a partnership that we value is the third-party ISVs that we are working with. So there is a sea of or an ocean of software out there, even for my services providers, but that doesn't necessarily differentiate us. And when we build our processes, we have to weave in multiple different applications together. And we want to be working together with um, organizations that understand our specific requirements. And we want certain things to be developed for, for us. So if you can choose an ISV that is open this kind of an open collaboration, how we respond to our customers' needs and we can rebuild those processes and, and enhance those processes using third-party software, then that's the idea of partnership that we want to be having. Right. And uh, I think all three of these partnerships, whether it's the cloud provider or the other two, they all have their own particularities, right? nuts and bolts and whistles, which um, MSP should, should take care of. Uh, which... Uh, Moving on, Andy, which brings us, to, well, I'll ask you to put your entrepreneurship hat on, is that for an MSP themselves or, or a managed services, um, somebody who's looking to scale up in, in 2023 and beyond, what roadmap would you advise in both in terms of challenges as well as in terms of opportunities, having gone through this journey yourself? I think if, if I'm looking at what we expect in our customer base, uh, we, we, have, we are predominantly operating in Southeast Asia. 
And Singapore is a relatively mature market. So you have a lot of multinational organizations here who follow the practices and procedures that they might have established in Europe or United States, for example. So on that level, they are on par what some of the best in class companies uh, require in the world. Um, there are um, organizations out there who are still lagging behind and they, they need to be guided through to the next level, what can be ex expected from the cloud. There are um, companies who are at the very beginning stages and, and especially in, in neighboring, some of the neighboring countries that we see in Singapore and their very basic services are still very much mm -hmm. needed. So it's a very vast gamut of different types of services that we need to be able to provide for our customers. And would the first step be niching down and figuring out exactly who you're targeting from this, this entire sector and, and all these open gaps which are there? Um, so we are targeting, actually, <laughs> we, we don't necessarily have a target market in, in that sense that we, we, we serve all kinds of customers. Uh, I mentioned enterprise customers, but also startups and, and everything in between. We have a lot of our customers are in the mid-market space or in the upper mid-market space. We have been working with customers through all kinds of in all kinds of industries: manufacturing, automotive, oil and gas, a public sector, educational space, um, just about anywhere. So, one nice thing about managed services typically is that it's a it's a very horizontal requirement for most of the vendors. Having said that, though, uh, I think the best managed services vendors are the ones who can also bring something to the table from an industry point of view. So, for instance, when you go into FSI, what I was talking about before, so you might have the central banks like MAS in Singapore, Monetary Authority of Singapore, um, putting certain requirements, audit requirements to the end customer. And we, as managed services provider, need to be able to provide the services in accordance to those audit rules and governance rules that these companies require. So we have to be prepared to be able to service quite a heterogeneous uh, customer landscape that at the same time, on the average, is becoming more and more sophisticated over time. Right. Uh, and some of this, Andy, you have covered, and we'll move on to, to, to how the managed services has changed in obviously in the pre-pandemic and post-pandemic world. But two things I would like to get your views on. One is this, the new hybrid kind of a cloud infrastructure where people are moving or at least having some of their workload on one cloud provider, some on another cloud provider. Uh, and, and the second part is something of automation. So on both of these, if you could just shed a little bit more light. Yeah, so um, for me, hybrid is more if your customers still have something on premise and then they have something on cloud. Mm -hmm. but uh, we would say that it's a multi-cloud environment. So when you, when you need to, when customers, for instance, want to do their primary on, on let's say, AWS and their secondary on, on Azure or vice versa. Um, one thing is that if the customer is building everything on, on one cloud platform, you probably can use a lot of the native tools that are offered within the platform itself. And, and if you do that, um, that typically, can bring down some of the costs. Now, when you have more than one platform, then most of these uh, native tools for cloud management pretty much goes out of the window because now you, are, you have to, if you want to build a homogeneous uh, way of managing your infrastructure, 
you need to have something in common and, and you wouldn't use from services from one CSP necessarily to manage the mm. services on another CSP. So you need to have a platform that can cut across multiple different cloud platforms at the same time in the same way. And you can imagine this from um, our managed services team point of view. So we have about 30, 40 people in our managed services team. So if we have managed services uh, folks that are looking at different screens and for each cloud platform, they have multiple different screens. So the number of screens mm. really stayed on this, on, on their laptop is, is just exponentially increasing. So you need to reduce that, re need to compress that one and have as few of screens as possible for our managed services team to look at so that they are any given point of time aware what might be happening on any of the um, uh, instances or with the services that, that these customers are having. Right. And the, the second point is how do you look at automation, uh, both the pros and cons and where it's a good use case of automation to put in and where is it? Well, I mean, automation is a must. Automation is a key. My services in cloud space has become extremely competitive. Uh, there is my services providers from all over the world that can provide services also in Singapore. So in that sense, we don't necessarily have a home advantage. So in order to make my services profitable, you need to be able to automate one of those mundane routine tasks at the back end. There are also now managed service or, or, or CSPs that are coming up with their own managed services. So to name one of them is um, AWS. AWS has uh, AMS, Amazon Web Services Managed mm -hmm. Services, which is an out-of-the-box service that provides some of the more routine tasks like uh, server patching, for instance, or instance reboots, instance provisioning, instance security, uh, things like that from the CSP's perspective. So the CSP is becoming the managed service provider. Now, they would be only doing things on their own platform, obviously. So if you go back to your previous question and talking about uh, multi-cloud, then obviously you need to have a different layer of uh, automation that cuts across different platforms. But it's both for ensuring that we have a process in place that is being followed. So you need automation for that one. And then also, of course, taking the mundane aspects away from our main services engineers so that they can focus on the value-adding tasks rather than on the routine tasks. Right. Uh, and uh, so some of this, Antti, you already covered, but in terms of changes in the last few years, which have come in managed services, obviously there was this, this huge pandemic and which shifted a lot of people out of offices on a remote scenario. But what has changed in terms of managed services? I think that was a significant one for us. But at the same time, while uh, it was significant, it wasn't very difficult because at the end of the day, when you're working with cloud things that you need, you need a mm. laptop and, and that's pretty much it, right? Uh, maybe you need a phone, but uh, whether that laptop and phone is now in the office or it's at home, if you have the connectivity to the cloud, uh, then you're good to go. We needed to have an extremely secure environment that is monitoring everything that our uh, managed services people are doing. So in case something goes wrong, there's a breach or anything else, then we know what happened, how to prevent them, how to 
stop them and how to shut them down because you're now no longer in a controlled environment. You're now no longer in all in the same room and, and looking at each other, but you might be in multiple different places. Having said that, though, I mean, this was an experiment that we would have not taken. I, mean, I guess many people would, mm-hmm. have, would have chosen not to have this pandemic, but it was almost a seamless transition in the sense that we didn't see any hiccups. We didn't ser- see any service deterioration. Um, we had the benefit that now we were geographically much more spread. Uh, people were working from home. They had to commute less. And I think the employee productivity actually went up. So it was a very smooth transition. Where we had issues is uh, I was talking about ISO 2701 that we was one of the certifications that we really wanted to have. Now ISO, ISO 2701 uh, requires at least some sort of an audit or partial audit every single year. And as part of the audit, the auditors, they must also go on premises to check the premises, how things have been managed there. Are there a certain number of locks, for example, on the mm-hmm. doors or, or, or other things? And during the pandemic, that was no longer possible. So the certification organizations, they needed to change the way that they are auditing my service providers like us. And I think it was bigger change for them to start rewriting their manuals. Uh, for us, it was more like business as usual, or even in certain ways, a positive in, a, experience in the sense that our employees became more productive and I guess more uh, content with the work being able to work from home and, and we were prepared for it because we had built the backend processes in a secure and repeatable fashion so that we could disperse our personnel across multiple different locations without service deterioration or communication issues. Mm. And, and do you foresee as this being the now the accepted way of working? I think it should be. Um, I don't know how organizations like ISO, for example, or, or people who um, do ISO certifications, how they will view this in the long term for main service providers. Do they accept the fact that uh, people are no longer necessarily working from one single location? They might not have double doors and double locks, so and, and they will have um, badges to, to go and enter the room where they have the laptop. I don't know. Um, I hope that they have uh, are changing their um, audit requirements as well, because one thing what we have seen is that it has been easier for us to retain good personnel when the work environment is in a place where you don't have to travel. Um, when you work an eight-hour shift, let's say on a Sunday morning, do you want to be alone or with maybe one more or two more colleagues in in a dark uh, room or control room, or are you more comfortable being at home where when you might be a little bit tired, you can just, you know, whip up another cup of coffee and, and be in a relative comfort at home to provide those services for your customers. So I, I really hope that uh, the industry has changed in that regard. Right. And apart from this, this particular learning which we have had in the change, what other trends do you foresee for 2023 and beyond in the managed service landscape? I think Deepak, uh, if I go to one of the things, I mean, um, besides of this podcast and, and this interview, I think we have been working together for a number of years now. And uh, I think wearing your other hat, which is on the uh, InfraGuard side, that's something that we have been working together. And we were one of the first customers of InfraGuard 
The reason why we chose InfraGuard was the fact that we wanted to have auditability across all of our managed services users. So whenever somebody is doing any kind of a changes in, in any of the instances in customer's environment and something potentially goes wrong, we can go and see who did what. That was number one. Number two um, was the fact that when you manage hundreds or thousands of instances, let's say on, on Linux, how do you handle, for instance, PEM keys? Do you, you know, give everyone thousand different bank keys, and if you have 50 employees, for example, in my services, you multiply those thousand keys with another 50, so you have 50,000 keys that are floating around there somewhere, who is going to take care of all of those different things? Our dream for a very long time was that our users should not know their user, they should not know their uh, user passwords, for instance, they should have a passwordless environment, and once they Logging with their computer, they should have access to everything that they need access to. If their job role changes or if they leave the company, for example, that access needs to be taken away immediately. And in some cases, it has to be taken immediately from hundreds and hundreds of different systems. So all of those things have to be running in the background. So what we are looking forward into in, in 2023, that all of them, bits and pieces that go into building a mind services company from a process point of view for our employees is in the background. It's been taken care of by our partners. It's been taken care of by our solution partners and our people can focus on our customers' uh, environment. They can focus on improving and, and, and being the value-adding uh, engineers or consultants that I was talking earlier on, rather than having to figure out how do I get access to that instance now and whether this uh, in um, this um, thing is safe or whether I need to act, uh, get authorization to do uh, something else. So we want to have all of that stuff past us and the rear view mirror, and we want to be building a company where we can every day have conversations with our customers, how we improve their platform rather than our own. Absolutely, Andy, and, and well, this has been a fascinating conversation. and. As you said, we have been working together for years and again, we've been one of our original and initial first partners and it's been wonderful having you with us both in this few years as well as in this half hour short session. But uh, thanks again for sharing your insights. I think this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Deepak. Thanks for having me and have a great 2023 and I'm um, looking forward to our partnership continuing also in, in the new Cheers, year. Andy. You too. Have a great 2023. Thank you. Thank you.